All right, we're all familiar with the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And, uh, and just to let you know, we, uh, my family kind of lives out uh, in the country just a little bit. And uh, this is never more evident than when you live in the country. Because you start thinking of, of things in terms of, hey, we need to like, get rid of this couch. It's, it's done. We've had it for too long. We've, somebody else had it before us. And so, you know, we're talking to, um, I was talking to my mom about this, we're switching out couches and stuff, and, and she said, well, you know, do what we do and just set it by the side of the road. Because for some reason, I don't know what it is about being out in the country, but uh, people are just able to randomly pick up couches when they're on the side of the road. And you can put signs on stuff and just say free on it, they'll take it. Uh, you can put on, hey, this stuff doesn't work, and here's what's wrong with it, and people will still take it. It's just a thing out there that happens. I don't know if you guys have experienced that or not, but you kind of see that taking place. Another way that I've seen this, too, is um, people, you know, you just don't realize until you start thinking creatively how other people might pay money for stuff that you just happen to have laying around your house. They, they want those things. And so I did a quick search on eBay last week and I screen capped a couple things. These are like real time last week. These were up there for sale. And so I just want to show you a couple examples of things that you might have laying around your house that somebody treasures and would love to buy from you. So the first one is coupons. I, I don't know if you knew this, but you could buy coupons on, on eBay. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but you can, you can do that. Uh, another one here is that you can buy box tops off of eBay. So I guess if you're really competitive in your school, you're like, you know, they're seeing how many you can collect. You can pad your kids' stats maybe instead of buying more Fruity Pebbles or, or something. I, I don't know. Um, another one is used egg cartons. They're, they're pre-owned, you know, just, just so you know, but you can buy as many as you want on eBay if you'd like. Another uh, favorite of mine, I've just got two more, her pine cones. Because sometimes you need pine cones from Wyoming. You, you know, I mean, you can't get those here. I don't know if you knew that or not. But you can get pine cones. And the last one wow. are toilet paper tubes. And I just want I, I to make sure that you see, like, this picture. I know it's a little small, but those are pre-owned. And they're sitting on somebody's sink in their bathroom. So, but, but you can buy those. I mean, crafting is serious business. So... Uh, so maybe you, you'd be interested in, in getting some of those things. I mean, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Some of the ways that, that people make money, and some of the ingenious ways that people have come up with over the years that, that end up really making more than a living just because they're willing to do some things that other people aren't willing to do. In 1893, there's a Dutch immigrant by the name of Harm, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Huizinga, I think is how you pronounce that. I don't know, maybe it's supposed to be more guttural than that. Uh, but in Chicago, he uh, started picking up people's trash for $1.25 per wagon load. And, and that was just one of the things that, that he did, and so he started off that. Fast forward to the 60s, and his grandson took out a $5,000 loan from his dad to start his own trash hauling business, because that's what grandfather did. And you fast forward to the 80s, and this guy had started, Wayne Huzinga, had started waste management a Fortune 500 company, one of the largest trash disposal companies there were. 
It's kind of funny how, you know, we, we look at things in life, some of the things that we say, well, this is just trash, and so it's not valuable, it's not work, worth anything, and here are the things, you know, that we should strive for and work through. And some of the times, you know, it just takes a shift in perspective to understand that some of the things that we're, we pursue aren't really aren't worth that much, and some of the things that we ignore and neglect are for, far more valuable. And sometimes it's because of the expectations that others have placed on us, you know, just kind of the social, cultural pressure that we have to live a certain way to have a certain lifestyle, to have certain things um, in our lives. You know, maybe we look at picking up trash or cleaning a bathroom as not very valuable things, but I tell you, you let it go long enough and you're going to wish you had. One man's trash is another man's treasure recognizes the subjectivity with which we base, you know, how we view objects and ascribe value to things. But there are other things in life that have very objective values to them. Um, objective measures of what's worth treasuring in our lives. And the reason that this matters is that if we treasure the wrong things long enough in our, li- in our lives, all we'll be left with are things to throw away. And this is something that Jesus identifies, and this is Je- something Jesus specifically speaks to in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19 through 21. And Jesus is preaching to a big crowd uh, on a mount, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew chapter 5 through 7 are all about these sayings and teachings that Jesus gives. And right here in the middle of all of that is where we find this statement from Jesus, this teaching from him. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Jesus gives a promise and a little bit of a warning here as he's talking about the things that we value and prioritize in our life. And that if we focus all of our time on earthly things, eventually that's stuff that will go away. But if we focus on earthly things, uh, on heavenly things, that's, those are the things that matter. Those are the things that are everlasting. Those are the things worth spending our time and money and resources on in our life. For where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not giving investment advice. He's not allocating, you know, he's not outlining how we should allocate our resources to get a good rate of return. God is making an objective value judgment on the way in which we prioritize what we treasure. In fact, if you look at what Jesus has to say, um, it's very clear that Jesus is giving very bad investment advice when it comes to our normal standards of how we think about separating things out and not putting all of our eggs in one basket. Jesus is saying, do this. Put everything that you have, everything that you do, everything that you are into this one thing. We should place all of our eggs in one basket. And while we might not consciously think about life in ways of hedging our bets versus like how we have faith in God and whether or not we trust him and, and how we do things on our own and how we live those things, those things out and what we it comes to how, what we treasure this side of eternity. One of the clearest ways to determine how our guardrails are raised, guiding us to what we should treasure in this life, is whether or not we compartmentalize and separate our, ourselves out in different areas in our life. Guardrails are meant to be in the safe zone to keep us from veering off the path that keeps us moving with and toward God. And the way that we know that we're compartmentalizing, I shouldn't have used that word, right? 
compartmentalizing our lives and separating certain aspects of it away from God in our lives is if we don't have guardrails set up on the exit ramps, the little distractions, the little things that we can objectify and pay attention to as we travel along the path toward God. And those exit ramps are defined by Jesus as that which only holds its value here on earth. This is a very significant, this is a very bold statement by Jesus. His audience would have been hearing this and listening to this and reacting in such a way that uh, their understanding and the current belief at that time is that one of the ways that you knew that you were doing well religiously, the way that you knew that you were building up and storing up treasure in heaven, is that you were living life well here on earth. A clear example of this comes from Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is approached by this rich young man who comes up to him and says, what's the good thing that I must do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response to this rich young man is, is to say, hey, one of the things that you need to do is you need to keep all the commandments. And this rich young man says, well, I've been doing that. I've, like, I'm, I'm a good person. I've been living a great life. And so what more do I still lack is this question to Jesus. And this is Jesus' answer in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, this was, this was a man, this is a person like many of us, like all of us, at some point in our lives, we have done this or are continuing to do this, who had compartmentalized his stuff from his walk with God. And the telltale sign was that the promise of treasure in heaven wasn't enough for him to choose Jesus over his stuff. So anything that we prioritize without God-assigned value is destined to throw us off on our journey with God. The value of this rich man's wealth wasn't that it provided comfort for his life. It was for how he could love and serve other people, and that was what Jesus was pointing out to him. The value of our money and possessions isn't about what we can get out of them, out of them but in how they remain tools for the kingdom of God and how God can work in and through us through those resources. The value of our knowledge isn't in how we use it to further our own desires, but in how we might engage with God's creation for his glory. The value of our relationships, our time, our very lives isn't found through what we desire to achieve and accomplish with the time that we're given but in how they might play a part in drawing ourselves and others closer into a relationship with God, this side of eternity. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because anything that we keep separate from God risks our being separate from him. And he knows that. And he wants us to be with him. This rich young man had come to the most significant choice, the most significant decision in his life, his stuff or Jesus, and he chose the wrong thing because he'd been guarding his own treasure instead of the treasure God had for him. And so Jesus goes on to share with his disciples, he gives his own commentary on this decision and this interaction with this rich young man right after, right after his conversation with him, and he says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they're in shock and wondering, how could anybody be, possibly be saved? Because surely, earthly wealth and possessions and treasures, that's an indication of God's blessing and favor on our life. So how could anybody be saved, especially us? Peter asks a very honest question in response to this, and he says, we've left everything to follow you, so what's going to be left after that? 
And here's what Jesus says, Matthew 19, verse 28. He says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The good news from Jesus in all of this, the impossible made possible by God, is that by guarding one treasure in our lives, we receive everything that is of value. See, our greatest treasure is Jesus. Anything else of value in this life is only given its value when we treasure Jesus as our top, sole priority. When God is the single object of our desire, these guardrails, this guardrail of guarding our treasure and what really is truly valuable in this life, keep us in line with who God wants to be in our life with who he wants us to be in our life. We head back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he gives right after this teaching about storing up treasure in heaven because there our heart will be also. He gives guardrails for us to set up to make sure our treasure is in the right place. The first one that he gives is discernment. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We know healthy, functioning eyes allow light in to get to the retina so our brain can see what's happening in front of us. What our eyes are fixed on, what they're drawn to, what they linger on, those are the things that we actually treasure in our lives. Those are the things that we've placed value on. And so, for example, one of the things that we know is that if we look at things, you know, let's say something's not going well in our life, if we take a different look, maybe a, a different perspective, we look at things a little bit differently, we evaluate things based on reality, uh, what's true, uh, we, we look at things properly, we combine together, this often gives us a proper picture of what we need to do to be able to move forward, even though things might be, ha not be happening the way that we want them to. If we don't, though, if we don't look at things differently, if we don't look at things the way that God has called us to and the value that he's placed on things, if we don't do anything different in our situation, it becomes more bleak and it becomes more dark and it becomes just like the rich young man who walks away sorrowful because he isn't willing to look at his life any differently than what he wants. The ability to discern what are heavenly riches and earthly riches come along with the practice of evaluating things in life based on how God values them, not how we do, not how society does, not how culture pressures us to. Asking, in what kingdom does this action, does this possession, does this thing that I'm about to do, what kingdom is this storing up treasure in? Is it mine or is it God's? The benefit to this, the benefit of using godly discernment in how we interact with this life, is that life looks a lot brighter when we trust how God values things. So discernment is the first guardrail. The second one is ownership. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And Jesus talks about this, and he uses money as an example for treasure because he knows how easy it is. Jesus talks about money so often in possessions because he knows how easy it is for those things to become a God in our life. Mark Moore writes in Life of Christ, Wealth demands our time and attention, often to the exclusion of spiritual concerns. Those who are hashtag blessed with wealth are frequently distracted and overpowered by it. Wealth is not antithetical to discipleship, but it often stands in the way of following Jesus. And when wealth becomes a ball and chain, the solution is difficult, but it may become necessary to rid ourselves of riches in order to make more permanent investments. You think about something as simple as a bicycle. Right? Most people have a bike. I don't have one. Mine got stolen when I was a kid, and so it's a thing. Um, and so, may, you know, maybe we can talk about that. You guys can share your experiences with me after service. Uh, but you think about a bicycle, and you think about, like, owning a bike and buying that and how just innocuous, innocuous that is, right? Everybody should have a bike. I mean, that's just a thing that, that every kid should learn to do, and that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but you don't just buy a bike, right? I mean, it's not just the bike. It's never just the bike because you've got to have a place to put the bike, right? And, th- and then it's not just a place to put the bike. I mean, you have to have it secured so nobody steals it, right? Uh, like you'd think a locked you know, storage closet would, would, would help that, but it doesn't, and somebody takes your bike and it ruins your rest of your life. Um, but, but you got the bike, and then uh, as eventually, you know, you ride the bike, the tire's going to go flat, or you're going to have to oil something, or you have to change out a chain, and so you gotta, you got to pay for, for that kind of stuff, and you got to take care of that, it's going to take your time. And then you got to buy accessories for it, like you need a helmet. You should, most of us should have a helmet on. Um, and, and, uh, and then it's, it's not just that, it's, it's that, well, you have a bike, and so then you feel the pressure to, well, you got to use the bike, right? And you got to talk about the bike, and you got to, you know, and it's, it's not just about a bike, but it's about anything. Is that the cost of ownership is always more than just possession. It, it, like, ownership is more than just having the thing, it's all the things that come with the thing that we buy or the own, the possessions that we have, the things that we seek after. And if not careful, the things that we own and the things that we work to own are going to end up owning us. Because those are the things that direct everything that we go after and everything that we do, the energy that we pour into things. And the problem with this is that Jesus has already paid the ultimate cost for us. God is the one who deserves ownership over our life and how we direct it and how we live it out. So I'm not saying not to buy a bicycle. I'm not saying, like, buy a bicycle and that's great. But what I am saying is that when we evaluate what we do with our resources, part of the thing that we need to think about is, man, who's truly going to own this in my life? Part of the evaluation of saying, hey, is this an earthly treasure or is this a heavenly treasure in my life, is, is knowing and understanding, like, how am I using this thing, maybe it's a bicycle, maybe it's something else, to bring glory and honor and worship to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God, not necessarily to myself. See, then the bicycle becomes something more, and it's not just something that you're expected to learn to ride, but then it becomes a tool to be in community, maybe with others, to have an opportunity to share Jesus with them, to have a, to have a tool maybe that allows us to be able to be in uh, God's creation and enjoy what he's created for us, maybe be good stewards of our health, It becomes something more than just something that we own and possess, but it's something that God owns and is part of us and therefore can bring glory to him. The third guardrail is trust. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34, Jesus says, 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a lot easier said than done, right? And let's be honest. I'm with you. I get it totally. We're, oh, just don't worry. Like, it's that, that simple. You ever tell somebody that? Just stop worrying, and it just changes everything for them in their life. You should try that this week. <clears throat> let, me just, uh, let me just mention a pattern that I've observed as a pastor when it comes to worry and it comes to valuing God, things in, in the way that God values them. Um, and, and not just something I've observed in the lives of other people, but something I've observed in my life as well. Worry often starts off small. It starts with little things that happen. Maybe it's a, a need that we feel that we have. Maybe something that, you know, didn't go the way that we expected. And, and little by little, we allow these little things to kind of erode our trust in God, knowing what we need and also knowing that he's willing to give us what we need. And so worry kind of builds up and compounds like this. In the middle of that, like, let's acknowledge that we often conflate our wants and needs, and this is part of the problem. We mix those things up, and we don't separate them out properly. And so, so worry kind of builds up in our life. And somewhere along the line, there's a, there's a big thing that happens. It's a circumstance. It's something that shouldn't happen. Maybe it's a sin done against us. Maybe it's a circumstance that comes about simply because we live in a, sin, you know, a world that's broken by sin, or maybe it's a sin that, that we take part in in our life. And that's the big thing that makes us wonder, uh, how am I going to get out of this? And that's the problem, is that we wonder, how am I going to get out of this? Because we ignore, and this is the pattern that, that we all get into at some point in our life, we kind of ignore this idea that, well, God says not to worry because he's going to take care of it. And so what we end up doing, because we've learned this with the little things that we've worried about and kind of taken on our own, and we've said, hey, I've, I've got to deal with this, and I've got to handle it, and I've got to find out some kind of solution. And what we end up doing, and listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in our lives at, at all. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying is what we often do when we take matters into our own hands and we kind of ignore the trust that God calls us to have in him is we end up compromising what God values. We compromise the values that he gives us, the guardrails that he sets forth in our life. And so what ends up happening is we do things like uh, we compromise with a person, or we compromise with a moral or an ethical dilemma, and maybe we think, oh, the only thing that really needs to happen here to, to get me out of this is I just need to say this one lie, and then we're good. Maybe it's a bridge we burn with someone. Maybe it's a temptation that we give into, and we think, man, it's not been worth you know, all this. And so we find ourselves in this situation where we're completely surrounded by earthly worries and troubles, and we look back and we wonder, man, how in the world did I get here? This is not the thing that I planned for. This is not the place that I wanted to be in my life. And the reason that Jesus, Jesus teaches us all these things, the reason why we're given these guardrails in life, and he tells us to treasure things in heaven and not on earth, is that he knows that when we treasure the wrong things, we invite more trouble into our lives. And so the little small decisions that we made, you know, in the midst of our worry, the little compromises that we made that seemed innocuous, that seemed innocent, and those kinds of things, they compound into a much bigger issue in our life. We get into situations in which we've surrounded ourselves with so many earthly troubles and worries that we can't even see a path toward trusting God in the midst 
of our lives, and we wonder, like, how is that even possible? How do I get to that place? How do we trust that God knows what we need and will provide it, much less treasure everything in our lives as God's heavenly possession for us? Like, what does that, what does that look like? Because we're so consumed by the things that give us trouble and worry around us. Here's the thing. The benefit to acknowledging that Jesus is our greatest treasure and that from that foundation, setting up these guardrails of godly discernment and recognizing that God is the true owner of everything and recognizing that he is worthy of our trust, when we use that to establish how we pursue treasure in this life, it's then that we're broken free from the bondage of those troubles and the weight of our stuff and the desire for fleeting gratification. This is, Jesus describes what this looks like in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Sometimes as Christians, I think it's necessary. We need this rediscovery of that joy in recognition that giving up everything that we think we own to God is worth it because it erases, it, it gives us a new outlook on life that we desperately need. And by doing so, we reorient our guardrails to guide us to what God treasures. This is a description of the discovery that we make before we become followers of Jesus, that moment of recognition that we realize it's impossible for us to experience this on our own, and yet God freely gives it to us through his son Jesus, and that we achieve that kind of joy on our own when we put our lives in proper perspective. We, like, we don't do it by ourselves, but with the proper perspective that we need Jesus for it to happen, and it's freely given by the one who paid the price for us to be able to have it. Desire Jesus over everything else, and when we give up all that we have, we gain all that God gives. That's the promise that he's given us. He's worth worshiping for that promise. He's worth honoring uh, for that. He's worth trusting uh, that he's given us the greatest treasure that we could possibly pursue this side of heaven. And that's Jesus in our lives.